Joining me on the show today is Harry Lloyd from Game of Thrones and Robin Hood, and he's now the co-writer, co-director, and star of a new online show, Supreme Tweeter, and he talks about all those projects. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and as I said, joining me on the show today is Harry Lloyd. Now, Harry was on the first season of Game of Thrones, as well as playing Will Scarlet in the BBC adaptation of Robin Hood, and he's now got his own online show, which can be found at supremetweeter.com. Here's Harry talking about all those projects, and then stay tuned for the film and DVD reviews. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So who or what inspired you to become an actor? Um, I think acting came out of reading uh, for me. I was quite a bookish child, and when the school was auditioning for the uh, the junior boy play, I just found that I could read aloud, which was the first. That was my way into it. I could hear I could hear words on a page, and I found they they came out of my mouth the way that they came into my head. Mm. So, can you talk us through your career journey? Uh, it's been a funny, clumsy kind of walk. I don't see it as a kind of a ladder or a line, really. Um, I, 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 if, if I've had any one principle that I've tried to stick to, it's that I'd like to do lots of different things. And uh, often when I've achieved one thing, I, go, I want to go and do the complete opposite, which has meant that I haven't potentially as far as I might have done in any one particular field. But I, uh, I, I, one thing I pride myself on is the, is the variety of roles. And I like to play parts that I don't think I have any right to play. Mm. Which I've done this several times. Well, was there one project or uh, experience you saw as a turning point for your career? I think when I got cast in about 2008 in a production of View from the Bridge in the West End to play Rodolfo, who is a blonde, exuberant, flamboyant, musical, Sicilian immigrant, none of which are traits that I share. I thought by getting that part, that gave me a lot of confidence in my acting and made me excited that I could play characters so far removed from myself. It's always a, a great thing to achieve. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a, that was a biggie. Well, so, as you've mentioned, you've performed on stage and on screen. Which do you find more challenging? Um, I think screen acting is probably harder. I think in on stage you get into such a good rhythm when you're into the run and you have so much kind of rehearsal time. In some ways it's harder to kind of sustain the kind of the discipline. But once you have that down... It's a it's a journey and it's an energy that provides itself. With on screen acting, it's it's easy to do bad acting, but in terms of actually doing it right and consistently getting it and creating the energy that's required for all the different kind of scenes and doing it all out of order, I, I, I think it is probably hard. So, which do you prefer doing? I I, I get bored just doing one. I think I need them both. Okay, so with your approach to playing those different type of roles for those different types of mediums, do you prepare in a different way? I think I prepare differently for every part, regardless of the medium. It's just about, I think the first thing you're always aware of with the part is what scares you. 
what's the thing that you do, <clears throat> that you don't think you can do, and you just focus on that, and that often releases everything else. Okay, so have you have a, have you ever had to do any specific training for any roles you've played? Um, yeah, there's always little practical things. I mean, recently for Theory of Everything, I had to take rowing lessons. There's a scene where I'm um, in a rowing boat, and yeah, they're always kind of little things to do like that. I um, and accents that you have to learn for different plays, or um, yeah, the pra- those things are easy to be honest. Those practical things, especially when you have help to do them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a- so you've mentioned you've done a couple of accents. Do you find those easy to pick up, or are they a little bit more challenging? Uh, it really depends. I've never had to do a crazy, really hard accent. Mm. Like for example, like in View from the Bridge, I, we had a great dialect coach called Penny Dyer, and I, uh, I really enjoyed taking the accent classes. I, I enjoy working on it. I haven't had to do one specifically for a while, um, but I've... Um, no, I do. I do enjoy working on them. Mm-hmm. So, what's been the most memorable experience in your career so far? My gosh, uh, I'm not sure I could pick a single one. Um, but I've uh, doing Supreme Tweeter. Honestly, has been something extraordinary just because it's so different to anything I've done before, and to be involved in something from the very beginning and seeing it through from an idea all the way through to execution and now working out ways like this to promote it is, uh, is fascinating and it makes you have so much respect for the people who produce and develop things. It's, uh, I'm just so grateful to all the people who it requires to make something like this, even something as small as this work. Again and again, people who give their time and expertise for free, you realise it's a miracle if anything gets made. It really is. So how long have you been thinking up the idea for Supreme Twitter? I have to say the idea wasn't mine at all. It was uh, the producer, the co-creator, Jane Hong's idea, who actually had a, a, a dream uh, <laughs> about Kim Jong-un uh, following an actor on Twitter. And then she started developing the idea and we played with it together. But it was very much her baby. Mm. Well, you were involved in the script writing process, and I suppose you've never really taken a project from script to screen before. How did you see those changes come about, and were things different than you thought they'd be? Oh, the whole thing ended up massively different to how we expected them, and even certain bits to how we shot them. And I think when you're so closely involved with something, you see there are ideas that you have, and you see them get changed for the page, and then you see them get changed in the shooting, and then changed again in the edit. And actually, nothing is clean all the way through, and I, nothing ever is. But it's uh, it's really interesting to see that firsthand how it all evolves, and then finally you end up with a project that, from where I'm standing, looks so bitty because I can see that moment from that bit and that bit from that bit. And actually, when you watch it all together, like someone else, as long as we've polished it well enough, it all looks like a seamless whole, as if it was always meant to look like that. And of course, it wasn't. Mm. So had you had much experience or had you ever wanted to work, I suppose, behind the camera as well as in front? Yeah, I think naturally I was always curious about it. I was always very interested and still am when I'm on a set to find out who all these people are and how this thing is working. And I've always been very curious as to in the behind-the-scenes aspect and uh, what the camera is doing. It's uh, No, I'm at the beginning of of exploring that and, and I'm still very, very um, 
I, I, I still don't have a, a, a huge amount of knowledge about it. But I, um, it did whet my appetite, and uh, it felt good to um, take a bit more responsibility for the work. Mm, so something you'll be doing again in the future, then? I hope so. All right, so can you describe, I suppose, the basic premise of Supreme Twitter? Supreme Twitter is uh, about a struggling actor who turns to social media to up his profile and is followed by uh, the most mysterious man on the planet. It's about his quest for fame and relevance <laughs> and, the, uh, and the effects of celebrity in the digital age. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen it and I loved it. Oh, great. At, at what point, I suppose, did that main character become a part of you? I think it was always meant to be me. Just, I think the original conceit was the link between my character in Game of Thrones and uh, and Kim Jong Un. There were some interesting parallels, and I thought we, because we wanted to make it for the online audience, and it was about the online audience, we wanted to keep it quite close to home and have that kind of meta angle to it to make it relevant, but without making it too pretentious. But just to kind of wink at the audience and to involve real people in Game of Thrones and uh, and aspects of the show which actually are, you know, hot topical um, topics uh, like, you know, Game of Thrones and North Korea and the fact there's a cute puppy in it to make some kind of nod to the, uh, uh, to the age of social media in both the content and the form. But that was all meant to be kind of tied into one. That was always part of the deal. That was what we thought was really interesting about it. So, did you go about setting up Twitter and, I suppose, practising? Because you didn't really have it until much before this. Yeah, I, I went on to begin with, just, um, I suppose, partly for, for research, just to, to see what it was all about. And if ever, you can't really distance yourself from it and, and, and get online without committing yourself. And, um, yeah, now I'm... Uh, uh, and, and now I'm very much a, a part of it. It's something I think I was always a bit wary of. Um, but um, not like anything, you, as soon as you actually face it, it's, you can see all the benefits of it. It's just about a balance. Mm. It's less about kind of my own relationship with Twitter, more just about the overall the whole revolution that has taken place in the last kind of, 10, 20 years and just how prevalent and strange it is and how how fast it's... Uh, it's happened. We, we wanted to look at it through the eyes of someone who didn't know anything about social media to try and defamiliarize it and remind ourselves of how strange it was rather than get caught up in all the details of it so much. Well, do you suppose that your initial wariness towards Twitter may actually, I suppose, be part of the point you're emphasizing a little bit through Supreme Twitter? I don't think I'm trying to make other people wary about it. I, I think having a character who is wary and then goes on such an extreme kind of change uh, testifies to the power and the persuasive nature of it. Uh, and it's, it's also about the drug of celebrity as much as the drug of social media. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. Well, was there any event from a shooting that stands out to you as being memorable? Oh, lots. There was a very funny moment when I was stealing the bike of the lady outside the English restaurant in episode three, and we were shooting in the street. And as I yanked this bike away from this lady, uh, who was actually the mother of a crew member, um, a man marches up to me and 
puts his hands on the handlebars and shouts in my face, you do not do that. And he thought that I was really robbing this woman. <laughs> he met this virtuous citizen. And then everyone crowded around and said, no, no, we're filming. It was very funny. And he was very embarrassed. But we were all rather proud of him. That, that doesn't happen every day. Well, what were the other hazards involved with shooting in the street? Because there were quite a few when you rode downstairs at one point. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that was... Uh... Yeah, that was a snatch-and-grab shot when we were trying to steal that shot in Trafalgar Square. Um, now, that whole bike morning, everyone, all the members of the crew had an iPhone or a DSLR or a different camera, and everyone was shooting from different angles. So we would just turn up to a location and just shoot a couple of passes, and everyone would try and get a different angle, and we'd move on. But the whole shoot was very much done like that. Obviously, it was shot on a, on a, on a red camera, um, but it was very much snatch-and-grab. We, we were confirming locations only briefly before and through friends and favours and all in a kind of local area. So it was all, it was a very low-key shoot, but we, uh, and we snatched most of it. Mm. Now, another thing that's notable about Supreme Tweeter is the fact you have some pretty impressive guest stars. How did you go about getting those people involved with the show? Um, I just um, reached out to them. I, 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 um, Maisie was someone who I kind of wanted her advice to begin with because I knew that she was such a um, big presence on social media. Uh, and the more we talked about it and we found lots of common ground and she so generously then uh, said that she'd be happy to play a, this kind of small part. And similarly, George is someone who I knew through Game of Thrones and, and reached out to him. And they were, I was kind of very struck that they were, how easy it was. They were both very willing to lend a bit of their time and to help us out, which makes such a difference. Mm, it really does. I mean, does that restore your faith in, I suppose, the whole celebrity notion? Oh, well, sure. I mean, I, I, I know them both as actors and friends rather than celebrities, so I, uh, I, I didn't... But I was still very struck by their generosity. Mm. Now, it's been out for nearly seven days now. What's the audience been reaction like so far? I think it's been remarkably positive. I think I always thought it would be a much more of a mixed bag of reactions and it would take a long time for it to catch on. But I think last time I checked, the first episodes had 25,000 views, which I'm, I'm stunned by. And people seem to really enjoy it. I think it's to do with the fact that it is for free. It doesn't ask anything. It doesn't require you even to watch an advert. It's all, and it's something rather different. Um, the people, if people, if you don't like it, it there's no need to... You don't have to watch it. It's not being forced down your throat. So people are finding it if they're looking for it. But no, I'm thrilled with the reaction. Mm. So will you consider a second season? I mean, the show certainly leaves it open for it. Yeah, no, there are lots. We're talking about it now. There's lots of questions. We always wanted to do something like this and to see as a kind of an experiment, uh, doing a story like this and presenting it in an online way as we have, just to see the kind of reaction of what people are interested in. I, we're, we're very curious to see what, people make of it and and where they would like the story to go and i think we're gonna take our first cue from that mm-hmm. now i mean obviously making a series like that isn't cheap if there was a second series would you consider crowdfunding so some of the crew and cast can get reimbursed for just some of their time sure yeah i mean everyone was was um was reimbursed the, the people out of pocket was uh jane the producer um um but we, uh, yeah, there are lots of different options in terms of funding it moving forward. That's the, another thing that we're discussing right now. Mm. And, I mean, I can certainly see a premise for, I mean, a TV run on one of the stations. Have you considered pitching it 
to any of the channels yet? Uh, again, it's something that we're considering. I, I, we, we haven't ruled anything out as such. I, the fact that it was always designed as an online story um, and it's about the online world, it would change a massive integral part of it if it was on TV, for example. But, um, yeah, right now we're not ruling anything out. Mm. Now, there are some quite funny scenes where the character gets recognised by fans in the street. Do you ever get recognised by your fans? Uh, um, very rarely, to be honest. Uh, I think it's a lot to do with the silver wig. I, I don't really... Uh, um, every now and again, if you're standing next to someone, you, you can see them and they give you a look. And if, and if you're standing there, people will sometimes have that recognition and then maybe say something. But in terms of... I don't think I'm recognisable enough that people actually stop me in the street on the whole. That's still coming, then. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Now, a lot of people, as you've mentioned, would know you from Game of Thrones. What was it like working on such a culturally iconic show? It was extraordinary. I mean, when I was making it, we had no idea it would become what it is now, which is, I guess, the biggest show on TV. It was something that I was amazed and in awe of the scale and the detail of it, of the whole production from top to bottom. I remember thinking, I don't know if anyone will be able to follow this. It's so complicated and and... And, and, and tricky but I think it's phenomenal I'm thrilled to be a part of it yeah. uh, and I'm, since then I'm just so glad that the world is, uh, is got on board Absolutely Now what was the audition process like for Game of Thrones at that early stage before it was the cultural phenomenon that it is now? I think it's, it was fairly straightforward I don't think it's changed a huge amount I went to a casting director's office uh, who I worked with a few times, and I made a tape with uh, Robert Stern, who's Nina Gold's assistant, and I taped, I think, two scenes from that pilot episode, uh, and they liked the tape that we made, and they brought me back into the room to meet with the director of the man who directed the pilot, and Dan and David, and Nina, and I um, did those scenes again, and then I heard uh, a little bit later that they, they had offered it. I think I was... Um, I was lucky enough to be one of the earlier people, I think, that was cast. Um, but obviously it became very com complicated in terms of more and more now, in terms of the dates and finding out people's availability. It's a lot, I'm sure it takes a lot longer now. Mm. Now, I personally remember you from a much earlier show in your career, Robin Hood. What was it like working on an adaptation of a legend? Oh, it was great. It was a lot of fun, that. We were in uh, Budapest in Hungary for six months uh, for two years in a row. And that was one of my first jobs out of university, so I really, it was my first time working abroad and with all these much more experienced people than me. So, no, I had a ball. Mm. And did you have any preconceptions about how the story of Robin Hood should be told based on your own childhood and stories you'd heard then? Oh, well, I, I was very familiar with the, the Disney Robin Hood and the Kevin Costner Robin Hood, so I was aware already that there are many different ways of telling the story. And when I was doing it, I watched a lot of other versions as well. So I knew that it was a legend that can be adapted to tailor, to suit from different times and different audiences. I don't think it's so precious that, uh, that you cannot do certain things with it. And I enjoyed what the BBC did and how, how much variety they found within that whole story mm. to make it relevant for today's audience. Now, I do remember when Robin was killed off in the final season, there was talk of the show continuing anyway. As one of the cast members, do you think that would have worked, and how would you have continued it? 
gosh, I don't know, because I was gone by then, so I left mm. the end of the second season. So I um, I don't know. I, I, I know that they introduce certain other characters um, at different points to potentially take over from Robin because they wanted to... Uh, um, actually, no, that's not right. I'm not sure... I'm not sure really, yeah. I think that was a question just because people were contracted for a certain amount of seasons and they wanted the option of it. But I um, I think it's probably right that at the end when to end the way it did to end the series there, I think it's probably for the best. Otherwise, what do you call the show? Mm, exactly. Well, um, what other current projects you have lined up that our listeners can look forward to seeing you in? Um, I have a small part in uh, Wolf Hall, which is uh, airing on uh, PBS... I think this weekend, or it started last weekend, perhaps, in the States. Um, uh, Theory of Everything is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD shortly. Ironically, it's still in cinemas here, so people can still go and see it. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Um, obviously, Supreme Twitter is online. Um, I'm in LA, yeah. I'm, I'm flying to New Mexico uh, tomorrow. Um, so for the second season of Manhattan. Wonderful. That sounds quite exciting. So what would you say has been the highlight of your career so far? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I really enjoyed making The Fear uh, for Channel 4, uh, working alongside Peter Mullen. Um, I thought that was, uh, that, that, that was a real, uh, that was a, a special job for me. Um, in terms of highlights of career, it, it's often to do with just the experience of making things rather than the the way that things are received. And I've been lucky enough to do so many jobs that I absolutely adored. I really enjoyed making this uh, one-man show that I adapted uh, last year called Notes from Underground, which is a play that I adapted with the director from a book and performed in Paris and London. That was um, pretty special. Mm. So now we've obviously talked a lot about Supreme Tweeter. Now, where can people find the show? SupremeTweeter.com Wonderful. Well, finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? I think there are so many different ways into it now. I um, I think um, ultimately you have to be a little bit stubborn. Uh, I think you have to not have too fixed an idea of what you think you can and can't do. Uh, and be aware that the the landscape of film and TV and everything is changing. There are many w- different ways to being an actor now. I think it's important to go and embrace all of those opportunities. Mm. Well, thank you very much for your wise words and your time today. Not at all, Ben. Thank you so much. I'm sorry for pushing the call. Thank you for making time. That's all right. It's my pleasure. And Supreme Tweeter is available online now, and it is a truly wonderful show. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. That was my chat with Harry Lloyd. And his show is available at supremetweeter.com. The link is in the show notes. So I've had the chance to check out a couple more movies. Uh, Firstly, thanks to Paramount Pictures, I saw the latest Fast and Furious movie. Now, it's an action-packed romp that had a slightly slow beginning, but it did pick up for the rest of the film. I gave that one three and a half stars. I also today checked out Black Sea, thanks to one of the show's supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas. 
Now, Black Sea has some astounding cinematography, some great acting, a fantastic script, and it's an overall good film. It's quite intense, uh, but I do recommend it, and that's showing at uh, Palace Nova Cinemas around Australia. And thanks to Madman Entertainment, I have been able to check out Nightcrawler. Now, I did see this at the cinemas as well, but I think getting a second watch does help with Nightcrawler, because you're able to appreciate some of the more intricate details of the script. And um, while it's still not one of my favourite movies, I did significantly enjoy it more. The cinematography is outstanding, uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal offers a superb performance. It's it's quite remarkable that he didn't get nominated for an Oscar, but I think the thing that stands out about Nightcrawler the most is the cinematography. It's superb. And, of course, Roadshow have some wonderful new releases out, including the Australian series Gallipoli, which is... It is quite violent, but it is a very emotional series. And um, Interstellar is also out this month, as well as a ton of other films that I will be able to check out for you next month. So I'd like to thank all the show's supporters, Palace Number Cinemas, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Madman Entertainment, and Roadshow Entertainment. I'll be back later this month. I've been your host, Benjamin Mamikay. See you next time. (laughs) 